Galatians, um, I'm always aware that in our church, our movement, we have a lot of people who are kind of new at this journey of understanding the scriptures or starting to read the scriptures. Um, a little while ago, I think at the beginning of this year, we did a series on the Bible, and I encouraged you not to feel afraid by what you don't understand in the scriptures, but just to remain humble and curious. And when we do a series like this, it's meant to make you hungry for more. Uh, there's so much in Galatians that we're not going to be able to cover, but it would do my heart good if an effect of the next few weeks as me and Steve and John and Kiara and Brooke preach, and I feel like I'm missing somebody, Jake, um, as they preach, um, it would do my heart good if it made you want to go home and open your Bible to Galatians and read it. And if you don't understand it all, it's okay. There are parts of this book that are a little challenging. Underline those parts, circle them, put question marks next to it, ask someone who you trust. Um, it's okay to have this posture of just curiosity with the scriptures. Um, so we would love if that was an effect of this because there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything in here. Um, but I am excited. This is such a rich book. So, so today, I'm going to stay a little bit closer to my notes for the first part of this um, because I want us to wrap our, in this week, I want us to wrap our minds around some of the context of this book, what's happening. And I believe, oh, Jesus, thank you for confirming it today that you will like activate this gospel in our lives as we preach. <laughs> Just thank you that you're going to do it. I feel so much more confident in preaching when Jesus preaches first. It's like, what could I, I, could, I, could, I couldn't go wrong. You know what I mean? Like, what I, can't mess it up from here. The service was already good. Okay. Intro to Galatians. That's what it says in my notes. <laughs> okay. Um, here's, here's the context. I meant to throw a map up here, but I confess I forgot. Uh, Paul, you can read about it in the book of Acts. Let's just remind ourselves who Paul was. He, we're going to read his own words here in a minute, but he was a persecutor of the early Christians part of the religious establishment in Jerusalem that was persecuting the early church in its infancy until he had a radical encounter with Jesus and ended up planting churches in the ancient world. And he ended up in a portion of uh, Europe, the Middle East, going to the Middle East, called Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he planted some churches there. And you can read about all of that in the in the book of Acts. Now, at the time, the, the Roman government designated that geography as a province called Galatia. And so when Paul writes this letter, he's addressing it to a number of churches in this region that are found in this geographic region called Galatia, and his letter was probably passed around to a number of churches. Um, it was probably circulated around. So we're going to start in Galatians. We're going to make our way today uh, sequentially through Galatians 1 and 2. But I'm not going to read every verse because it's a lot of material. Again, my hope is that you'll go home and read some more. So this is how it starts out in Galatians 1. It's up on the screen. Paul, an apostle, is writing this letter. This is a letter. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, um, his greeting actually in many ways summarizes everything we're going to learn in the next few weeks. 
Paul defends his calling as an apostle, sent not from man, not from men. I was sent by Jesus. He's going to do that in this letter. Um, he makes Jesus central, that it was Jesus that rescued us. And then he talks about how uh, we've been rescued, that Jesus has called apart this people who are now defined by the gospel instead of this present evil age. And so his, his uh, um, introduction really summarizes everything he's going to say, but as you're going to see, he starts to flesh it out. Now, when we read letters like this in the New Testament, and a lot of the New Testament is this, these kinds of letters, um, we're left to infer some things about this specific situation that Paul is addressing. And the reason is that Paul's letter here is a response to a situation. He is writing in response to something. Um, and we know some of the details from what Paul is saying, but we don't know all the details. So it's kind of a one-sided conversation, and we have to understand, try to understand what Paul is addressing by him addressing it. Uh, but we don't have all of the details, and it's important to remember that as we read letters like this, that there's some things we just don't know. Nonetheless, we can tell some things in this New Testament letter to the Galatians about the situation that Paul is addressing, and here, here is that summarized. Um, just remember with me for a moment how the Jesus movement started in the Jewish city of Jerusalem among ethnic Jews who the Holy Spirit came on them, the original disciples of Jesus, and then Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. You can read about this in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit came on that original room that was waiting and praying for the promise that Jesus had given to them, but everyone in that room was ethnically a Jew. Now, we reminded ourselves in the last few weeks as we were talking about where God is taking the gospel tab, as we talk about multiplication and regionalization, that we can see those kinds of patterns, the multiplying of leaders and movement and mission, and the regionalization of mission and movement, we can see those patterns in the book of Acts. And so we said a few weeks ago that some of those ethnically Jewish first Christians traveled north into a city called Antioch, and in that city, they, of course, encountered Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jewish people, people who were ethnically not Jews. Most of us in this room are probably uh, Gentiles by that scriptural definition. Some of you are ethnically Jewish, but probably most of us are Gentiles. Um, and so they encountered these Gentiles, and, and there was missional innovation. They ended up preaching the gospel to these people who were not Jews, and they discovered that God was giving his Holy Spirit to these people as well, right? So the church in Antioch becomes this church that is filled with not just Jewish believers, but people who are non-Jewish believers. And this is new. There's no way to overstate how this just has been mind-blowing for the first Christians in Jerusalem. So here's what's happening. As this dynamic developed, there were early church leaders in Jerusalem who were watching these Gentiles in other cities encounter Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. You know, they're manifesting the Spirit of God through these gifts. They're seeing the Spirit of God is coming on these people just like he came on them. And they're really struggling with this. They're really struggling about what all this means. And so some of them began to draw a hard line and say, listen, it's fine for you to know about Jesus and stuff. But for you to really be in on this, for you to be really part of this Jesus movement, for you to receive salvation, um, you need to become Jewish too. In particular, meaning that you need to hold to the Old Testament law in the first five books of the scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You need to hold to those laws uh, like we hold 
to those laws if you really want to be part of this. So some of these leaders from Jerusalem actually came to these churches in Galatia that Paul had planted, and they began to teach that these new Gentile believers need to follow certain dietary laws, they need to dress certain ways, and they also started to teach that male circumcision was necessary for salvation was necessary to be part of the Jewish people. Now, if you're not familiar with the scriptures at all, I just totally weirded you out, you know, by saying that. So, so let's just remember some of the history on this. From the time of Abraham in the book of Genesis, male circumcision was the outward bodily sign that God gave Abraham and his family as an outward sign that they were part of this covenant family. Now, that may seem like a strange thing, and people have wondered, like, why that? Why was that the mark? But I think there's a couple reasons we could reflect on really quickly. I remember we were in a training here at the Gospel Tab on sexual wholeness uh, not that long ago. It, w- it wasn't long before the pandemic. There was a counselor uh, doing some training for some of our leaders. And I remember one thing this counselor said is there is a sense in which our genitals— are the part of our body that is closest to our soul. And we know this because you see this in abuse, right? That when someone is touched the wrong way, right? That that doesn't just affect a part of that person's body, it affects their soul at a deeper level, right? Than other things could. Um, It's why in God's design, It is the use of those parts of our bodies in covenant relationship in marriage that bring souls together, right? Um, Because it is a vulnerable part of our bodies, and God puts his mark on that part of Abraham's body because it was always just meant to be an outward sign, right? That, That you belong to me, that all of you, even the spiritual part, you know, belongs to me. And I also think just on a practical level, as Abraham and others went about their day and used the bathroom and all of these things, they wouldn't have been able to forget, right, this covenant mark that was put on them and belong, and that they belong to God, right? So that had been Jewish practice for many, many years. For hundreds of years, it was the mark of, of the covenant people of God. But now these Jewish leaders have gone to the churches in Galatia, and they're teaching that these Gentile Christians, among whom male circumcision would not have been a normal practice, that, that these um, Gentile Christians also need to be circumcised, not as infants, like the Jewish infants would have been circumcised, but as adults. I'll tell you what, I read Galatians, I'm like, Paul, please win this battle, you know? <laughs> win this one, <laughs> all right? Now, what really prompts Paul writing this letter was that it had reached his ears that some of these Jewish leaders had already made some Gentile new Christian men do this. And, and that's really deep because just think about the power dynamic involved in that. Just think about the level of control. Just think about there was something about these leaders coming from Jerusalem asserting their authority over these new Christians in a way that was even harmful to those new Christians that just causes Paul to get worked up in a way that he often doesn't in his letters. And you can't miss that in Galatians. Paul is worked up. He is all the way worked up in this letter. He is passionate, right? Because he planted these churches. These are his sons in the faith, and they're being made to go through um, this really painful thing, and it's confusing for them. And so Paul's angry. He wants to point out where this has gone wrong. This is what prompts the letter. And not only have these 
these Jewish Christians, these are Christians who are teaching these Gentiles in Galatia, not only are they teaching them wrong things, they've also become opponents of Paul himself. So they're saying to these believers, you can't trust Paul, you can't trust his authority. They thought Paul was wrong by not enforcing male circumcision. And so Paul's response to all of this is to passionately remind the Galatians about the gospel. The gospel, which is a Greek word meaning good news. He wants to remind them that when he came and preached to them, and these churches got planted, when he had dinner with them, when he walked with them in their lives, when he got to know their families, what he presented to them was the gospel, something that is fundamentally good news. And Paul's passion about defending this, he wants to persuade them not to substitute the good news for bad news that sounds religious. Because that's what's being presented to them. It's something that is not good news, it just sounds religious. And not everything that sounds religious is good news. Amen? There's some things that sound religious that are very bad news, right? And so Paul is here to admonish them to remember the gospel. He says in Galatians 1, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one. Notice that. The one. We're going to focus on this. The one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul begins not just by talking about what the gospel isn't. He begins by talking about his own interaction with the gospel. And that's chapters 1 and 2. So it's why we're going to cover this today. He wants to start by talking about how he encountered the gospel, how he received the gospel, and that's where we're going to start. So let's remember, as Paul reminds the Galatians who he is and his story, and they would have known this story, he's reminding them that Paul was a person who had been radically encountered by the gospel. And how was he encountered? Did he sit in a class? Did he learn some information about what we should believe about Jesus? No, what happened was he encountered Jesus. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And then he goes into a little bit of his testimony. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. It's interesting that zeal, passion for doing the right thing, Paul's saying, is not salvation. He was zealous for religious things before he ever knew Jesus. He wasn't, he wasn't even like nominal, just like going to church services. And he was zealous, advancing in the religious system and totally missing what God was doing in the world. So he reminds us of this story. He was actually trying to advance against the gospel. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So he's, he's in just a few sentences, just summarizing a story. Do you remember it? He was on his way, you can read about in the book of Acts, on his way to persecute some people, and Jesus appears to him, right? He's knocked off his horse, he's made to go blind, right? He, this didn't happen like just in a class or something. He encountered a person, 
And that person was Jesus. Now, he's going to make this point here about his relationship with Jerusalem because part, like, you wonder, why, why is there motivation for Jerusalem to teach male circumcision to these poor Gentile Christians? And why are some of them doing it? Like, why are some of them like, okay, you know, like signing up for that? Like, who does that? You know what I mean? Well, some of it is that status and relationship are powerful motivators. Oh, you know, because I've done it, you've done it too. We'll hurt ourselves to be associated with something that makes us look further ahead, that makes us, gives us status, right? And I think some of these church leaders in Galatia wanted to be associated with Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is where it all started. They don't want to be outsiders. They don't want to be viewed like they weren't part of this. You know what I mean? Like they wanted to be legit too. And some, for some of them, that was a strong enough desire that they, they were willing to do this. So Paul's making clear that what he preaches and what he's about did not even come from Jerusalem. He goes on to say, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles. And he's going to make it clear he's in relationship with the apostles, the church leaders in Jerusalem, but he is not getting his identity from them. He is not getting his sense of call. From, Paul's testimony is this. I met this man, Jesus. Paul is saying that the good news is not a set of ideas that we get right and pass on a test. It's not a moral code, even though Paul's going to make it clear in this letter that moral codes are important. But that's not the gospel. The gospel, the good news is a person named Jesus. And it's this person's story his life, his death, his resurrection, that is good news for us. Nothing else is good news for us except for this man, Jesus, and his story. Now, I want you to watch the cascading kind of testimony of, of meeting this man that happens in Paul's life. Paul is going to make a point here that he eventually did meet the wider church, including the leaders in Jerusalem, but where they met was in a person named Jesus. He's going to keep this focus. So Paul eventually, not right away, but eventually he did go down to Jerusalem. Um, and there he met who Paul calls in this letter Cephas. And that's just another name for Peter, Peter the Apostle, you know, who's all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts. But a, a pillar, a leader in the Jerusalem church. So Paul eventually goes to Jerusalem to meet Peter, but he's already encountered Jesus. His point is, I was already in. You know what I mean? I was in because Jesus encountered me, not because I knew the right people, right, in Jerusalem. That, that's why I was encountered. This is so different than other systems, right? Because in religious systems, social systems, school systems, you kind of got to know the right people, right? Paul's saying, that's not what this is like. Jesus is encountering people. I didn't even meet the people in Jerusalem. But I had already encountered Jesus, right? Galatians 1.18, after three years, I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. And what do you think that conversation was like with Peter? Here's what I think it was like. I might be reading into this, but here's, here's what I think it's like. I think Paul told his story about meeting Jesus, and Peter was like, that's him. Yes, I met him too. See, the line is being drawn not by having all the beliefs right or living in every perfect way. That's not the line that's, been, the line that's being drawn is, have you met this man? <laughs> have you met this man, Jesus? And there's some kind of testimony that, between Peter you know, and Paul that's like, 
Oh, yeah, we both met him. Yeah, that's him. Sounds just like him, you know? I knocked you off your horse, made you go blind. <laughs> made you realize that he loves you, sounds just like him, right? And, and they're realizing that this is what they share in common. I'll, I'll never forget one of the first people I was sharing the gospel with in Aliquippa was a guy who had been in the streets for a long time, sold drugs and everything like that. And when I started to tell him about Jesus, the story of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, he, I, I'll never forget it. Through the whole thing, he kept looking at me and saying, that's him, that's him, that's him, yes, that's him, you know? Because Jesus wasn't waiting for me to say something to him to show up in that guy's life, right? There was something happening between us that was like, oh, that's him. We've both met him. Yeah, th this is the one, right? And there's, there's immediately something that happens between people who have seen and encountered this man, right? Who have a, te a testimony, a story that's like, look, in my life, Jesus encountered me, right? However that happened. It happens differently from person to person. Later on, Paul was welcomed by the larger church, um, particularly in Syria. Galatians 1.23, they had only heard this report. He's talking about now, like, word is spreading, about what's happened in his life. They had only heard this report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Is there anybody in here who has a testimony that makes other people praise God? Because you weren't following Jesus, because you were doing your own thing, because you were, but then Jesus encountered you. And just people hearing about Jesus, or just people seeing you now, when they knew you back then, right? says something about the reality of Jesus, right? So Paul is saying it was undeniable. People knew, you know, that something had happened. Later on, and there's years between each of these, each of these incidents, but later on, Paul makes his way back to Jerusalem, and the gospel that he's been preaching, which is this person, Jesus, was confirmed by the apostles in Jerusalem. So before he had met Peter, now he's meeting everyone else. And I have some verses here up on the screen, Galatians 2. We're in chapter 2 now. I went up again to Jerusalem, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Here's what I think that sounded like. It wasn't just like a statement of faith or a doctrinal statement or something. Paul is saying, I met this man, Jesus. Have you met him? Let me describe what happened to me. Does he sound like the one that you've met too? Is this what his life is like? Is this what his testimony is like? Is this who you know Jesus to be? goes on, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel. The other apostles were like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what happened to us too. Maybe different circumstances, different way, but this is the one we met. The good news of Jesus. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And Paul's point here is that eventually, because every Christian on the face of the earth shares this testimony of having met Jesus in some form or fact, he might not have appeared to you in a vision like he did to Paul, but all of us have a story that Jesus somehow met us, got our attention, spoke truth to us. And it's in that shared testimony that they become family, right? And, and notice, I'm getting ahead of myself, but notice it was not in circumcision that this family is forming. It's not in having every, you know, I dotted and T crossed that this family is forming. It's in Jesus. It's so simple. It's in Jesus. Paul then demonstrates his commitment to this gospel that has been affirmed by his brothers and sisters by telling a story. This is really interesting. This is where we're going to really land here for the last few minutes. By telling a story about when Peter, 
who's a pillar of the church, has already welcomed Paul in, has already said, yes, what's happening up in Antioch is legit. These Gentiles are coming to know Jesus. It's legit. God is doing something. Peter decides to go up to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas to see what's happening up there. And Paul tells this story. It's an uncomfortable story. Um, he says that, well, I'll just read it. Galatians 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Now, why? What, what would make Paul have the courage to oppose the, Peter, the apostle? What would give him the courage to, to oppose him to his face? Because he stood condemned. Paul's saying he's, he was wrong. Here's why. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, this is the story he's telling. He's saying Peter comes up to Jerusalem, and he's hanging out with these Gentile believers, and Peter is like, oh, yeah, this is legit. They're in. How do I know they're in? Well, they have the same gospel. Why? Because they're circumcised? Because they believe every little thing that we do? No. It's because they met this man, Jesus. And Paul could tell. I mean, Peter could tell. He could tell by seeing their lives. He could tell by hearing their stories. These Gentiles had encountered Jesus like he had encountered Jesus. But more people from Jerusalem want to see for themselves and confirm for themselves. So James, who's another apostle, sends up a delegation up to Antioch to join Peter. And Paul is saying, when these other people got there, Peter started acting differently. And Paul wasn't cool with it. He's like, Peter changed the way that he acted. Because when they arrived, he said, he began, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter was afraid of being associated with these people. Peter was afraid of being seen eating with them because even that was against the Jewish law to share a meal like that with a Gentile. He was afraid of being associated with this people that these folks from Jerusalem who are powerful and influential and they're from the church and they're trying to keep everything in the lines and what are they going to think about me? And so Peter just retreats. He just withdraws. He doesn't respond to the invitation for dinner. And Paul is saying here that this was worth confronting because in Peter's actions was demonstrated a false gospel. And this is really important to understand and to remember because Paul is not saying that Peter stood up and said, Jesus doesn't matter. Peter didn't do that. Why would Peter ever do that? Peter didn't stand up and say, you know, uh, um, ignore Jesus. Um, I'm going to present to you another Messiah. Peter didn't do any of that. He, was, he believed in Jesus. He was teaching about Jesus. But Paul is saying that Peter had an attitude that was not gospel. That Peter was making his reputation the most important thing. That Peter was making his racial and political views the most important things. That he was even making the Old Testament Jewish law the most important thing instead of Jesus. And for Paul, as soon as the church, our tables, our programs, the way we hang out in the community, as soon as it becomes about something, even if it's good, but it's less than Jesus, then for Paul, this is worth confronting. It's worth saying something. He's saying that even an attitude like that is a false gospel. Why? Because Peter's reputation is not good news for the world. Um, it's not good news. It's bad news. If that's what's central, we're, we're, um, there's no hope for us. Right? Um, Peter's racial and political views are not the definition of good news. His views on these things are not good news. 
Um, even the Jewish law, and, and you're going to see this all the way throughout Galatians, even the Jewish law, Paul's going to say, it's good, it's righteous, it's from God, but it is not good news. The Jewish law is actually bad news in many ways for us. These things are not good news. Jesus is. And so something rises up in Paul. Paul's telling this story. He's like, I watch Peter with his funky attitude. You know, like, I watch him acting weird around the Gentiles. And Paul's like, I just had to say something. I just had to confront Cephas to his face. Why? Because, because Peter's reputation is at stake? Because Paul's reputation is at stake? No, because the gospel is at stake. And Paul is demonstrating, and there's something in this for us to remember as a community, that Paul is demonstrating that he's willing to confront even the people that he's in relationship with if the gospel is at stake. And here's what he says in Galatians 2.14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, he went, he went to Facebook and just put it out there, went to Cephas in front of them all. You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile. Here's what he's saying in front of everyone. I saw you before these other dudes came, and you were eating with the Gentiles. You were acting all cool with them. You didn't seem to have a problem then, but now you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. I want you to know this, friends. There's a lot of things that Christians fight about that just don't matter because they're not central. And we can spend a lot of time arguing about things that just don't matter. A lot of what we divide over, a lot of what we confront each other about, a lot of what we put on Facebook, in the end, it just doesn't matter. But if the gospel of Jesus is to say, if what's being debated is this man, Jesus, being the center of a family, being the center of a church, being the center of a movement, well, that's worth confronting every time because he is the only person that is good news, right? So I said it before, but notice that Paul's not claiming that Cephas or the Galatians have stopped preaching about Jesus. It's not, he's not saying you've stopped talking about him. What he's saying is that these attitudes, like happened with Peter, are now cropping up in the Galatian church that are not in line with the gospel. How could that be? What is Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. It's because they have added something to Jesus. It's not that they've stopped talking about him. It's that they've made it Jesus plus something. Paul has no room for that. The good news is not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus. Um, the teachers from Jerusalem that had infiltrated this church were talking about Jesus, praising Jesus, but they were just saying that it had to be Jesus and the Jewish customs. It had to be Jesus and the Old Testament law, Jesus and circumcision. They were teaching Jesus plus, and Paul calls this not just error, but a false gospel. So Paul is going to make the bold claim in this letter that the gospel is this man named Jesus and to try to add anything to him for salvation is a false gospel. Even, get this, even the Old Testament law, part of our Bibles, to try to add that to Jesus as necessary for salvation is a false gospel. When we add anything good, it might be good, it might be from God, the Old Testament law is from God, but when we try to add it to Jesus, what we have now is a false gospel because Jesus himself, his story, his life, his death, his resurrection is enough 
It's the gospel. Now, I want to be clear as I'm talking this way. By the end of this book, you're going to see that Paul is going to say very clearly that if you have encountered this man, it will change the way you live, right? It changes the decisions we make about relationships and sex and money and all of these things, how we argue, how we disagree. The gospel changes every single part of our life. Paul's not saying that these things don't matter. What he's saying, though, is that we are not saved by these things. The good news is Jesus. Okay, as I wrap up here, I wonder what some of the things are today that churches try to add to Jesus. Jesus plus a political position. Jesus plus our cultural background. You know, we do this so easily because a lot of times we don't even think about our cultural background and we act in ways in church and relate to each other in ways that make it hard for people from other cultural backgrounds to be a part of us. And it can feel like it's Jesus, plus I have to change my culture. Jesus, plus I can't be who I am. Jesus, plus our denomination. Jesus, plus our doctrines. Jesus, plus our programs, if you show up at these things. Jesus, plus church activities. And I don't know of very many churches who would ever say what I'm saying. Do you know, do you know any churches that would stand up and say, it's Jesus plus our political position? I don't, I don't know any church that would do that. But I do know, I do know situations like Paul picked up on this attitude in Peter. Maybe Peter didn't say it. But he was withdrawing. And where did the attitude show up? It showed up because he was withdrawing himself from people who were different than him. That's how it showed up. He was just retreating, not showing up at dinner. And I would say wherever the gospel has not formed us, you will see it have that same effect in the church. It will cause us to retreat from each other, to not want to be associated with each other. It's how whole denominations have been formed in Christian history. We can't be at the table with those people. They don't got it right. But don't they believe in Jesus too? Yes, but this. Jesus plus. So we don't hang out with them. And I just wonder, friends, as we go into this series, as a gospel tab family, what are some of the things that we might be tempted to add to Jesus? Because I am sure that there are these temptations. Like, for instance, Jesus plus mission. Do you know that mission itself, we talk about it all the time around here, but in and of itself, it is not good news for you. And, and some of you who have been doing mission long enough, you know it because you start grinding and reaching people. And, like, you know that being on mission is not going to save you. We're on mission because we were saved, right? But being on mission is not going to save you. It's not going to sustain you. It's not going to hold you. It's not going to heal you. A lot of people try to find their healing in the mission. It's not good news for where you need healed. Helping kids in the city is not good news for your wounds. It's not. What we need is this man, Jesus. What we need is this person who's been revealed to us. What about Jesus plus how we worship? Now, I think all of us would say, like, oh, we don't have it all right. I mean, this is just how we do it. But you know where I notice this attitude is when we step around other Christians who worship really differently than us, and we feel like we can't be at the same table as them, Right? It's an attitude that's not in line with the gospel, right? That Christians all around the world, and there's just evidence of this all around the globe, we do not meet each other, hang out with each other because we all worship the same. 
That's not what Jesus left behind. What he left behind was a family defined not by worship style or worship service, but by Jesus, right? So that means I can meet someone on the other side of the globe who worships very differently than me. Hasn't this ever happened to you? Hasn't this ever happened to you? Like, I have a specific example in my mind. Should I share it? I'll share it. I think I'll share it. You know, people from our tradition, like one place I think we really struggle, for instance, is with Roman Catholics, right? And listen, Roman Catholic Church has issues. We have issues, right? Now, how many of you have ever, if you grew up Protestant, have ever met, and I'm not saying that the things we disagree on don't matter. They matter a lot. That's that's not even what Paul is saying in Galatians. But here's what I'm saying. How many of you, if you were Protestant and then you met a Catholic, or some of you have spent most of your life Catholic, and this is kind of new to you, how many of you have met someone on the other side and been like, oh, they know Jesus? We met this same man. We really disagree on some things, but we met this same man for sure. You know, like this story is in our background that we were encountered by this man, right? When Jesus becomes the one who's defining all of these things, it gives us eyes to see who's in the family. And they don't always look like us, talk like us, even believe every little thing that we believe. It can't be Jesus, this is similar to the mission one, it can't be Jesus and love for the poor. It can't be Jesus and justice. Those things by themselves are not good news. But Jesus is good news, and out of his goodness flows justice for the poor and the oppressed. It's going to happen because Jesus' heart is good news for the poor, but it is him that is good news. It's not Jesus plus how we do anything. And it's not about if we would ever say that from the pulpit, because I don't think we would. The proof is in our attitudes towards people who are not part of this movement. The proof is in our attitudes towards people who are not part of this church. The proof is in our attitudes towards people who are different than us. And so I just want to say to you, Gospel Tab family, that wherever we go from here, and God has wonderful things in store for us, wonderful things for you. I love this cascading testimony that Paul lays out for us about meeting after meeting after meeting with people who he didn't even know, and they discovered that what was binding them together was not the Old Testament law, the practice of circumcision. It was not the Jewish religious tradition. It was Jesus. And so wherever we go from here, we must be a christ centered, spirit-empowered, family on mission. When Paul met these people, the testimony wasn't, yes, I got circumcised too. Now we can hang out. Weird way to greet each other. (laughs) It was not, oh, we have the same politics. Uh, We have the same culture. Yeah, we can hang out. It wasn't, oh, we're trying to make the same kind of difference in the city. It wasn't, oh, we're part of the same movement. Oh, we go to the same church. These things do not bind people together for eternity. (laughs) What binds us together for eternity is this man, Jesus. Jake, if you could come play. I would love that. Thank you. Um, And this is how Paul sums up this whole section. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. Paul's like, you want something that defines my story. We live in a time where people are so ravenously searching for tribal identities because they want to know that they belong. They want to know who they are. They want to know. And Paul is saying, my identity is not coming from being in with anybody. Not even the leaders at Jerusalem. Like, that's not where I get my identity from. (laughs) 
He's like, my identity's coming from Jesus. So if I'm an insider or outsider in different places, it doesn't really matter. My identity's coming from Jesus. It's not Jesus plus something. It's just Jesus. And I think the vitality of a church like ours, a vitality of any missional movement, is connected to being relentlessly focused on Jesus. That we would be a people who talk about him, who sing about him, our testimony when we meet other people is that I met this man and you did too. And that's why we're in the same family. Not anything else but Jesus, right? It's so simple. And out of his goodness flows good news for the world. One reason Paul's so worked up here is because to, to even just shift what is really good news to the side for a minute and to center something that isn't good news um, is to, to preach something that's not going to be helpful at all to each other. Like, we need deliverance. We need salvation. Right? We need hope. We need forgiveness. And even good things, our church, or this worship service in and of itself is never going to give that to you. But Jesus will if he shows up in this worship service. It has to be about him and all of those other things flowing out of it. All right. Michael, thank you. Thank you.